Just a warning, this episode mentions thoughts of suicide. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, or if you just want to talk, you're not alone. You can call the Suicide Prevention Hotline any time of day or night at 800-273-8255. Okay, here's the show. Because I've been through struggles and I've you know been through depression, I've felt suicidal and I feel like I've come out the other side and my life isn't perfect but because of that I'm able to help other people who've been through it too so yes it's an illness but I also see it as a strength. Welcome to Getting Through. I'm Andrea Sonnenberg. There are so many ways that mental illness can affect a person even though as a culture we are more open about these issues talking about them still comes with a stigma. Today I'm speaking with Liz Liz just got married last year and works in development for a hospital here in L.A. This isn't her real name because while she wanted to share with me about living with bipolar disorder, she was nervous about the impact talking openly about her issues might have. But Liz spoke honestly with me about stigma, about her rock bottom, and how she manages in the midst of terrible grief. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, Okay, so (laughs) I think it's always hard to talk about yourself, especially like positive attributes can be hard. um, And maybe that has to do with, you know, to jump right into anxiety and feeling insecure and all those things that come with it. Um, It can be really hard to to say like what, you know, positive things. Um, But I grew up in Los Angeles. I have siblings. I have always loved to play sports and be active and get outside. I can really struggle to be in the present moment. And when I'm outside in nature, um, I just feel more alive and, and present. I am newly married. It's been a very interesting year with the pandemic. We were supposed to have a big wedding and we ended up having like 12 people in my dad's backyard, but it ended up being just a really beautiful, lovely, intimate ceremony. I think my friends would say that I'm a good friend. I'm really good at listening. And I think that has to also do with everything I've been through. For me, having someone to talk to is so important and having numbers that I can just call when I'm struggling. And I also want to be that person for other people. Liz didn't have a traditional four-year university experience. Out of high school, I went to a four-year university in Wisconsin. But I was only there for a couple of months because I was really, really struggling. Um, Mentally, I was not doing well. I was struggling also with addiction and alcoholism. You know, when I went there, it was still kind of, things were okay, and I was meeting friends and I was going to classes and I mean, within a month I was just every night alone crying, really depressed, um, really struggling with addiction. It really came down to when I was in a dorm room alone, just, I mean, I was barely eating anything. I'd lost a lot of weight. I wasn't, wasn't really going to classes and I would just be on the floor of my dorm room, just bawling, just crying. Like every night I just felt so broken and I couldn't stop taking Xanax and I was terrified and I was just in a really, really bad place. And um, 
and I just didn't want to be alive. I just didn't want to be alive. And I call, and you know, I, my cousin had given me her phone number a couple of weeks earlier because I'd gone home for, for Thanksgiving break. I didn't want to go back to school because I knew something was really wrong. Like I felt, you know, I, I knew something was wrong, but I went back and like two weeks later when I was just, just felt so broken that I was done. Um, and I didn't want to be alive anymore. I called her and I just said, I, I can't stop. You know, I know you're sober and I can't stop taking medicine. And I just feel totally broken. I don't know what to do. And she's like, call your parents. Like, she's like, I'll talk to you later. Like, hang up. If you don't, if you don't call them, I'm calling them. And I called my parents. I don't know why I called, but I did. You know, I just did it. And everything got put into motion. Her father flew out to bring her back home where she went into treatment. That was the most alone I had felt. And I'm so grateful and glad looking back that I reached out for help. Because if I hadn't reached out for help, I don't, I don't know where I would be. But that was, I knew, like, I knew I needed, something had to change. I knew I was, could not continue like this because I don't think I would have survived the path I was going. Deciding to take action was really tough, partially because in the moment, Liz felt like in order to change, she would have to press pause on her whole life. It felt like her classmates and friends would get ahead and leave her behind. But the reality was, like, I could never move on with my life and be my own version of successful if I didn't take care of myself first. But even before she went to college, Liz experienced challenges. In elementary school, she was diagnosed with bipolar and anxiety disorder. I think I always felt uncomfortable. Just even as a little kid, I really had trouble making friends. I just would go to the library at lunch and read because I didn't really understand how to interact with other people. I had a lot of anxiety. I was just really insecure and didn't like myself. And I, yeah, I just was really sad all the time. Um, and I think even, you know, so that was when I was eight, I was, I was put on medication and I felt so much shame, so much confusion, having a label that I, you know, had anxiety or bipolar and, and having to take medicine as a little kid and not really understanding why. And, and I, thinking something was wrong with me. I did feel a lot of shame. I felt really different than everyone else. Yeah, I really struggled with that. Yeah, it it did really affect me, I think. It it gave me an identity that I was really uncomfortable with. And it got worse as I was in middle school. I still had trouble making friends. I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. I had like one friend. At this point, Liz had been in therapy since she was little. She remembers they used to mostly play games, but when she was a teenager, her relationship to therapy changed and she started abusing drugs. I mean, maybe they can't help you, but if I'm not being honest or if not in a good headspace, they, you know, they did the best they could, but I just wasn't in a place to get help really or to listen. Um, and once I did get sober, which did take, you know, therapy and a lot of work, I really improved going to therapy and, and, and working with a psychiatrist because I was sober and I was in a headspace where I could listen and work on what they were telling me to work on. Despite all the strides she has made, Liz still feels shame and stigma surrounding her mental health. I am open about my sobriety, very open about my recovery. And, and what's interesting is in terms of my mental health diagnosis, I'm a lot less open about that. I think a lot of people struggle with mental health, but it's still not talked about 
enough where I feel comfortable even using my name. And I, I wish I would use my name on the podcast. I wish I could, you know, be the example and say, you know, this is my name and and I have mental health struggles, but I still unfortunately feel a lot of fear that it could impact me in a negative way. I understand that. And that's sort of why we're doing this. And, you know, the more people we can have tell their story, whether they identify themselves or not, um, the more comfortable people feel with the fact that we all struggle. I mean, statistically, one in four in the States struggle with mental health issues. That's, that's pretty large. That's a pretty large number. So how would you say that your illness affects others, you know, people in your circle? I guess it's called mental, is it called mental health illness? I don't even like, I know. I guess I don't even like the term illness. Yeah, I hear you. Because um, I think, and that maybe, I mean, it's a medical condition, I get that. But I think even that term illness brings up those feelings I had as a kid. It's like, I'm sick, there's something wrong with me. For Liz, part of succeeding in the face of these challenges has been taking charge of her own identity. Obviously, there's a lot of negative aspects of having anxiety and, and bipolar, but also I think it's made me like a, a better friend and a more, I don't know if it's the right word, is empath- empathetic person because I've been through struggles and I've you know been through depression and I've felt suicidal and I feel like I've come out the other side. Yes, it's an illness, but I also see it as a strength because I'm able to help other people based on what I've been through. Your question was, how has it affected people around me? I haven't really had any open conversations with my parents about what it was like raising me or what it was like getting a call, getting a call saying, I can't stop taking Vicodin and Xanax. And I, you know, I don't want, I don't, I'm not happy. I don't want to, you know, I'm not okay. Um, I'm sure that is really scary for a parent to hear. I think the fact that I'm in a lot better place now is really great for them. And I know they're really proud of me. My mom actually died, but she has said, you know, before she died that she was really proud of me. Am I really, it affects my relationship. There are days when I don't want to get out of bed. There are periods where I just cry and I don't know why I'm crying. And I think that can be really hard for a partner because when you're with someone you love, you want them to be happy. And as much as my husband wants to fix me, sometimes he just, there's nothing he can say or do. And Um, I think that can be really hard to watch someone struggle that you love. But, you know, we have to look at it in a way it's no different than a physical illness. If you had diabetes or high blood pressure or some other kind of chronic condition, there are good days and there are bad days. And your support system has to be there to help you on the good days and the bad days. This is something I personally feel really passionate about. We need to have this parity of physical and mental illnesses. They're no different. Mental illness just happens to affect the brain. It's neurological. But society views mental health so differently than physical health. And unfortunately, there's tremendous stigma surrounding mental health issues. I'd love to talk about medications that were prescribed to you by a psychiatrist, I assume, and if they were helpful, and then sort of talk about the abuse of the medications and and how that happens. That's something I'm really very interested in as well, because my son was involved with lots of psychiatric medications and sort of went awry and ended up, you know, that's really resulted in his death. So I'd love to hear you talk about that. I really struggle with, with taking medication. I I still take medicine and it helps me, but there'll be periods where I just don't want to take it. And I think I really associate it with like, you know, there's, I'm this problem and, 
you know, it's like, like you said, if, it, if I'm taking medicine for diabetes or, or if I can't and I was getting chemotherapy, it's like, you just do it. But medication for mental illness, for me, at least it's just, there's this shame, can be the shame associated with the medicine. And also, I, I know this isn't your question, but I have a major issue with how insurance works and how difficult it is to find a therapist or psychiatrist in network. I was trying to find a new psychiatrist. They told me to call back in June that they won't even consider thinking about taking on new patients until June. It's April. That's like April, May, June, three months. It shouldn't be like that. But Liz's frustration with health insurance doesn't end there. She told me about one time when she went to refill a prescription for three pills a day, but her insurance would only cover the cost of one pill per day, despite the fact that the larger dose was the one prescribed. Why do they make it so hard? It should be when someone reaches out for help, they shouldn't make it so hard. And that's something that really frustrates me. But back to your question about about medicine. So I was prescribed Xanax for anxiety and I was prescribed Vicodin for a wisdom tooth surgery. And I started abusing those and I wasn't honest with my psychiatrist. I was taking more than than was prescribed. I was refilling them more quickly. I was lying. And and it, it just got really bad really fast. I did have a bad experience with a therapist where I told her that I was abusing the medicine. And she's like, you'll be fine. Just stop taking it. I wish that she had not just been like, you'll be fine. Um, I think that would have been a good time to say, like, it sounds like you have an addiction. You, you probably should go to treatment. You actually mentioned to your psychiatrist that you felt you might have an issue. So I didn't mention it to my psychiatrist. I mentioned it to my therapist. This is actually a really important distinction. Therapists are licensed counselors who use talk therapy to treat mental health issues, while a psychiatrist is a medical doctor who can diagnose and prescribe medications to treat mental health disorders. But regardless of who she told, the professionals in her life were not giving her the support she needed. Before I went to Wisconsin, I was abusing Vicodin, and she told me just to stop taking it, to eat some chocolate cake, and I'll just withdraw. I'm not addicted, and I'll be fine. So I, so I withdrew from Vicodin and got really sick, and I stopped taking it, but just stopping taking an addictive medicine when you're still struggling with mental health, you're going to find, or at least for me, I wasn't like cured. I wasn't fine. I wasn't getting treatment. I wasn't getting help. So then I went off to college and I hadn't, I hadn't abused my Xanax prescription before because I no longer had the Vicodin. I started, I put the Xanax in that place and started abusing that and reached out to her again for help. And she was like, you'll be fine. Just stop taking it. You're not addicted. So then I called my cousin and I was like, I'm like, I I don't want to be alive anymore. Can't stop taking medicine. My cousin was like, just call your parents right now. And then my, my, dad got on a plane, flew out to Wisconsin. So the psychiatrist didn't know about the abuse until my parents told her the therapist did. And I I really wish that she had responded differently. And did you feel that the medications that you took for your bipolar disorder were helpful? And do you feel like they are helpful now? So I think there were points where I was over-medicated, um, as I have previously said, like because I was abusing medicine, I don't think my psychiatrist could really prescribe things properly. So once I did get sober and start, you know, working with my a psychiatrist and being honest about how I was feeling, because if you're not honest with your doctor 
about how you're feeling, they can't treat you properly. So now I think medicine does really help me. I still don't like taking it, um, but I do feel a lot calmer and more stable. And I also, the, the psychiatrists I work with now, they have me on the least amount possible that keeps me stable. So I'm not in that place of feeling numb. Um, and if I'm struggling, there, you know, there are periods where I get more depressed or more sad. I'll see my psychiatrist sooner and we'll adjust the medicine. So just being, for me, being honest with my psychiatrist, that's the way they can treat me better. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. So you mentioned the loss of your mom. I'm really, I'm so sorry about that. Having lost a significant loss myself, I really understand. How does that impact your mental health? Grief is, you know, a really strong emotion and something really impactful that that we all experience. And how would you say that uh, impacts your mental health? When my mom was diagnosed with cancer, she's basically diagnosed with terminal cancer, I just, I mean, I mean, as anyone would, I just, I just broke. I mean, I, I was just so scared and so sad. And I've been sober for um, eight years. And sometimes for me, feelings feel so intense that I just can't handle it. There's just too much going on in my, feels like there's so much going on in my head, whether it's depression or anxiety or sadness. And I just want to shut down and I just want to, you know, crawl in bed or numb out. And so for me, that's why Xanax and Vicodin worked because it could shut, felt like I was shutting my brain down. I didn't have to feel anything. And so you know, when you get when you get sober, all these emotions come back up, and you have to find healthy coping skills. And you know that's what I did. Going for me is going to meetings, talking to friends, asking for help when I needed it. And so when my mom got sick, it's like again, just it was an overload of sadness and fear and anxiety. Thank God for my friends throughout her illness, and and then when she died, I just broke down. I felt my feelings, and I called people, asked for help. And I think the most important thing is that when you're struggling to not be silent. And I know it can be really hard to ask for help. And I, you know, I used to see that as a a failure, you know, like just be strong, just, you know, suck it up, smile, you'll be fine. And so it can be scary to ask for help, but that's the most important thing to do. And in terms of grief, I think the hard part about grief is one, if someone hasn't experienced it, they don't understand it. You just don't. And I ended up going to Our House, which is a grief support group. And I was in a group for um, young adults in their 20s who were grieving a parent. And I think something that's really great is when you're struggling with something and you find people that are going through the exact same thing, they can relate. And just having this group of people that knew exactly what I was going through was so comforting. When you lose someone. I can't remember the exact phrase they use in a grief group, but it's like, it's like two losses. It's the loss of the person. And then the loss of the future you have with that person. For me, losing a mom, it's like, I started thinking about like my wedding day and my mom wouldn't be there. And you know, when I got married and I got, you know, and my mom wasn't there and it was okay. And we, someone painted this beautiful picture of, of um, me and my mom and we put it on a chair and we had flowers for her. Um, you know, thinking about having kids and, and she won't be here while I'm pregnant and having a baby and the, you know, I'm Jewish, the holidays and all these, this like second set of losses, the loss of the future. Um, 
but I heard people talk about how they got through it and what they do in their life to honor their, the person they lost. And I get to incorporate that and know it'll be okay. And the other thing about grief too, is it really lasts a long time. It just doesn't go away. I've learned to live with it. So I'm not crying every day, but there are still days where I just break down and it's been three years and I feel it's hard not to beat myself up. I feel like I should be, you know, it's been three years. Like I should be over it by now. But when you lose someone, you know, I lost my mom, you lost your son. When you lose, you know, someone that you love, that's so incredibly close to you. There's just, for me, there's just this hole and there's nothing that can fill it. It can be a random Wednesday where I just really miss my mom and I break down crying and every, it feels like everyone else has moved on. So I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's my experience oh, of grief. Completely. And do you feel like this tremendous grief is a trigger for your mental health issues? Yeah, I, I think that the grief can be a trigger for mental health issues. Um, and when I do start to feel really sad. I mean, I've worked on a lot of different, you know, not just medicine. I think for me, it's important to have other coping skills as well. So like um, meditating or just pausing and, and breathing, you know, if I start to feel like my senses are being overloaded, like I have a friend who's a, um, she's a psychologist and she'll be like, you know, feel your feelings. And so don't like stuff them down. It's okay to cry, but I also don't let myself go to that place anymore where I'm just like so broken, I can't function. So I'll, you know, I'll cry and feel sad, but then I'll, my husband will rub my back or I'll center myself, I'll ground myself and breathe. And so it, it does definitely trigger and set off more intense emotions, which can kind of, I can see leading me to a breakdown. And I try and stop myself from getting there by using these coping skills that I've learned. Oh, that's wonderful. So that's, you know, that, that's something that you've learned about yourself and how to achieve success, which it sounds like you really have. I mean, especially when I was younger, I didn't think I'd live past 18. I was so depressed and just broken that I, I didn't really see the point. And after I got help, it took me a long time to rebuild my life. I felt like a failure dropping out of school, having to go to treatment, having to, you know, going to community college. But I ended up, you know, graduating. I I never thought I'd get married. I, I hated my when I was younger, I hated myself so much and I thought I was so worthless that I didn't think I was lovable. You know, through therapy and doing a lot of work on myself, I was able to finally start valuing myself. And then I met this amazing man who's now my husband. And I, I never thought I'd get married. I never thought I'd have kids. We don't have kids now, but we want to have kids. And you know, it it really reflecting back, like it, it gets better and it's not always better. And there are days that are really hard, but just not giving up and continuing just to reach out for help and get that help has allowed me to have a life of, you know, having a career, having a husband, having, being close with my family again, um, you know, being excited about the future, not dreading the future um, is really it's, it's really a great place to be. I never thought losing my mom would be able to stay sober through that and still find happiness in life. And I think that's the other thing is like, yes, losing my mom has caused an immense amount of grief, but I also still get to laugh and live my life and enjoy it. 
now that I've had, you know, where I've come out kind of like the other side, where I'll go through depression, but now that I'm doing well, that means I know I can reflect back on my past and know, yes, there are times when I'll, I'll sink into depression, it'll be really hard, but I have experience of coming out of that. So I know it will be okay because I can reflect on the past and I know what to do. I know to call my psychiatrist, make an appointment, you know, maybe see my therapist sooner, call a friend and ask for help. And that's how I manage it to get back, you know, to feeling better. And what would you advice that you would give to people today that are confronting issues similar to yours? Never stop asking for help and don't be ashamed to ask for help and have that list of people to check in with because it's harder to to reach out for help if you're not talking to anyone. If you're already talking to people and have these relationships, then it's easier when when you know when things get bad to pick up the phone and just say I need help. Um, right. And and if no if some the first person doesn't pick up, call someone else. Go through your phone. Just keep calling people. Even if it's not someone that maybe you can talk to about feel comfortable talking to about mental health struggles, just having someone on the phone to talk to just to get yourself out of that space. I really let, when I was younger, I let my diagnosis define me. And I think when I made that my identity, I got really stuck in it and thought I was, you know, that I was, something was wrong with me. That's not my identity anymore. That's, that's just something I live with. Like we've talked about, if I had diabetes, I, you know, live with diabetes. I'm not like being a diabetic is not the one thing that defines me. And so I think that mental health is just a part of me. Yes, it's impacted me, but there's, no, there's not something, I don't feel like there's something wrong with me anymore. It's just something, it's an illness I have and I can thrive with it. Mental health does not define me anymore. It's a part of me, but it's a small part of me and I'm so much more. Getting Through is made possible with the support of USC Hillel through the Bradley Sonnenberg Wellness Initiative. It is produced by Hannah Beal, Micah Smith, and me, Andrea Sonnenberg. Original music by Micah Smith. Thank you for listening.